thank God for the Obrimskis and the Lemmings. Uh, I, I want to, to formally kind of put, recognize your being here. Over the last few months, all these folks have found a home here at Common Ground Northeast. Through prayer and discernment, they have heard God call them to participate in life of our congregation and to take on the convictions that we hold. Here it is. Our vision is to invite all people, regardless of age, ethnicity, background, to be formed into the image of Jesus in order that we might love our neighbors in Indianapolis and around the world. That's what we do here at Common Ground Northeast. To the Lemmings and the Obriskies, I want to offer you this charge. As you seek to deepen your relationship and commitment with our church community, I want to say first, welcome into our family. And as you affirm your faith in God and your, as your creator, in Christ as your savior, and in the Holy Spirit as your guide, will you allow the way of Jesus to resist oppression and evil, to show mercy and justice, and to be a witness to the reconciling ministry of the living out loving message of Jesus Christ as best as you are able? Will you commit together with us, to grow with us, to give of your time and talent and treasure, and to go as ambassadors on mission with the community of God's believers at Common Ground Northeast to the Lemmings and the Obrinskys. If you commit to doing that, would you just say, with God's help, we will. With God's help, we will. Amen. Praise God. Now to those of us who have been around a little while and who are welcoming these families, I want to charge us. As you receive these into our community, do you commit to become a church that can depend on each other through good times and hard times? Do we and do you promise to partner with our new congregants, help them find their place in the body of Christ to pray with and for them, to extend the right hand of fellowship and to welcome them in holy friendship, to be their church and their people by encouraging them Together, grow, give, and go with us as we seek to be formed in the image of Jesus Christ. If you accept this charge as a congregation, would you humbly say, with God's help, we will. So let us joyfully share in the hopes and labors of the kingdom. May we for each other, may we love each other and laugh together in the company of friends. May we be courageous together. May we empower together. May we seek justice together. May we find common ground. I love this church. And may we do it all in the name of Christ who makes us one. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for the faith journey that has brought this church together today. We celebrate the unique impact that each and every one will make here and already has made through their presence, their gifting and their talents, their availability. Lord, we are available to you. Our hands, our feet, our tongue, use them at your discretion. May this, this congregation offer support in times of trouble and rejoice with them always. May our church strengthen, home strengthen faith and deepen the discipleship of all who call this community their home. All this we pray in the Christ name of Jesus Christ and in your holy name. Amen. Let the saints at Common Ground Northeast 
express a welcome and affirm this ministry together. Come on, everybody. Let's praise God for what he's doing. At this time, all of our children's ministry classes are open. I would like to dismiss our children to go to their respective classrooms and church, have church. Y'all have a good time. Be blessed. The word of the Lord is about to be preached. Are you excited about God's word? Is anybody excited about God's word? I want you guys to talk back to me today. I'm going to give you some opportunities to talk to me today because I'm I'm more used to a dialogue, so hopefully y'all ready to talk back to me today. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel this. This is my testimony. time I've taken your grace, your power, your anointing, and I admit that I have underachieved, and it brings me to this place where I recognize that a good plan going forward, and perhaps someone else recognizes just like me that a good plan going forward would just be less of me and more of you. Maybe that would work. God, I'm willing to try that. Now, God, your word is about to be preached in your house. I pray that nobody sees the broken, the flawed, the sinful man that's up front. But that today the people will only hear from you. Send your word. Let it lift us. Let it convict us. Let it bless us. Let it instruct us. Enlighten us through your word. Encourage us through your word. 
don't let it return to you void. God, I lift up Eric. I lift up Emily. I lift up Titus. I lift up Jonah. I lift up Micah. I lift up little Zeke. Come on, everybody. Would you bless Pastor Eric and Emily and their family? Come on, everybody. Would you touch them, Lord? Would you bless them? Would you give them more? More healing, more power, more strength, more anointing. Would you encourage them today? We love them. We feel their absence. Move in their house. And God, then move in all of us. If you believe that, would you just say, We need more, more, more. Come on, somebody tell them. We need more of you. Come on, tell me, we need so much more. We need so much more. Jesus, Jesus, more, more. Somebody didn't go there. Let's do it one more time. Come on, we, we need more. Come on, somebody cry out. More, oh, more. Hallelujah. I'm crying, Jesus, more of you. We need so much more. Hallelujah. Jesus, more. One more time. Let's just whisper it. Come on, take it down. Just talk to God. Just whisper to him. More oh, of oh, you. Oh, Jesus, much more. Jesus, more, more. Please give me more. Please, more. Oh, more. Please, Jesus. Jesus, more of, of you. I need, I need so much more. Jesus, more of you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Does anybody need more of Jesus? Come on, praise the Lord, everybody. Well, I'm so excited to be here to, uh, to continue this, this series uh, that we've been doing on the book of James. And if you've been tracking with us, Pastor E has just been killing this series. And we're, we're, we've been praying for him and uh, his family's going to be missing today. So we're going to continue in chapter 5 of James and there's these themes. Now, if you've been tracking along with us, speaking to a group of Jewish Christians, and he's trying to get them uh, to be impactful in their community, and he's coming against some of maybe their traditional thought, but in, in, in certainly in expressing and practicing their Christianity, he, he's pointing out some flaws. And if, if you needed more of Jesus, and if you wanted more of Jesus, but if you ever get more of Jesus, how many people know it ought to change some things on the inside of you? It should reflect. And so uh, God's most precious resource uh, is people. And so I'm excited to preach to you today about patience and people. And how when we go through a 
season of required patience, what ultimately should happen, church, is that we're better with people. Do me a favor. Hold that cup up before the Lord. All the devil brought was bad batteries. <laughs> he thought he could get me with bad batteries. <laughs> no, no, not today, not today. Uh, so again, God's most precious resource is people, right? You and I. I often say that you're no more Christian, though, than the way you treat people. So the more God allows us to have with respect to resources, the more he expects us to have an impact on people. The proof of who we are in God and the content of our heart is on display in all of our relationships. The more power we accrue and the more authority we have, the greater ability we have to impact the lives of people positively and negatively. God, however, judges us on how we use our positions of authority. So when the Bible says that the poor you will always have with you this is not an indictment on the poor. Somebody help me. This is an opportunity for the rich. God is on mission. And we are all required to operate in God's will and in mission in our hearts. God's ultimate work on earth is reconciling all of his children, young and old, rich and poor, no matter what your demographic, back to him. You and I aid God in that mission. In James chapter 5, James addresses two groups, the rich and the poor. The rich have not used their resources to help God in his mission, and therefore they are facing judgment. He tells the unfaithful rich, watch this church, the misery is coming. Look at what he says in verse uh, five, chapter 5 verse 1. Now listen you rich people, weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. James also addresses in chapter 5 the poor in the community who has suffered at the hands of the rich and admonishes them to be patient. See the contrast in the messages of the two groups. James 5 and 1 again tells the rich that misery is coming, while in verse 8 he tells the poor the Lord is coming. The difference is who and what, uh, for who and what is coming to us and what should we should expect is based upon the contents of our hearts and whether or not we will release the contents of our hands. Now, for sure, these are warnings and instructions to both groups. And James here, church, uses explicit language because it is still possible for the rich to change their ways and avoid this judgment. 
And it is possible for the pure, poor to learn from the judgment of the rich and never themselves be subject to that judgment. And herein, church, James creates tension in the text. Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to learn. I want you to write this down. Here are a few nuggets that will summarize the point that James is trying to make for the rich and the poor, for all of us to understand. Write this down. If I trust God before my harvest, then I am more likely to trust God with my harvest. That God makes me wait on him in order to be blessed so that I will also wait on him to tell me what to do with the blessing. This is what we're learning today. God wants me to spend time with him in my valley season. Don't worry if you're in the valley. This is a time to get close to God. So that I will be familiar with his voice when I get to my mountain seasons. Here's the one I like that God showed me last night. God works on my heart while he's working on my harvest. If I think I'm somebody, if I think I'm a baller, God will show me that I am not because the proud he brings down. But if I'm humble, God will exalt me. God has many ways to elevate me. The humble shall be exalted. Here's what you should know. God is saving us for himself. God is also saving us from himself. God says, I'm going to work on you so I don't have to judge you. Well, question for you, question for you, question for the church. If I said to the church, you don't believe fat meat's greasy, would anybody know what I'm talking about? If I said to the church, you don't believe fat meat's greasy, who, who would know what I'm talking about? Just the black people, right? If I say to the church, you don't believe fat meat's greasy, only black people. Because that, that's a black thing, right? And I, I'm going to bring, because I want to bring y'all some of my culture. Uh, uh, this is how it played out in my If you don't believe fat meat's greasy, uh, what that means is that's people who don't believe that con in consequence. They're not motivated to do the right thing, and partly because they don't believe in the true consequence of the wrong thing. So here's how it would play out in my house when I was a kid. I would walk in at a quarter to six. My mother would say, I told you to be home at 4.30. And you walk in here at a quarter to six like you running things. <laughs> oh, oh, you don't regard what I say. I know what your problem is. And so don't worry about it. It's my fault. You don't believe fat meat's greasy. Because somehow I've not made you understand that there's a consequence to your action. But don't worry about it. I'm going to make you a believer. <laughs> You're going to understand that fat meat's greasy. And what are you saying? That if you put the meat under heat, it will release the grease. You ain't been under enough heat. You don't believe fat meat's greasy. It's a little blackenism for y'all. I've been here today. That's how it played out in the crib. And she would say, oh, no, don't worry about it. I know why you came in at quarter six. You don't believe me. I'm going to make you believe me. They don't believe in the consequence partly because it's been delayed. When God has been long-suffering, 
And God has operated in high measures of grace and mercy as concerns those who transgress. It lulls them into this place where they may not believe that he's going to judge them on their actions. And just like when God wants to bless us, judgment may be delayed, but God will not deny his judgment. James tells this group that even though God has not been swift in his judgment, God is certainly going to be sure in his judgment. God says, I'm going to do some work in you before I bless you so you can handle the blessing. A lot of people can't handle power, authority, resources. God says, I'm going to do some work in you before I bless you. So when I bless you, I know you have the heart to bless other people. God says, I'm going to do some work in you before I bless you. So that when I bless you, I don't have to take the blessing away from you. One of the ways God achieves this goal in us is that he requires you and I to wait. He requires us to operate in the spirit of patience. Again, he makes us wait. That dirty four-letter word that nobody likes, wait! The nerve that nobody wants to hear, he tells us to wait. Because, listen, it, tell me if this makes sense, church. When you and I are waiting to lick the spoon, the person beating the batter is always taking too long. <laughs> because the first person that's beating the batter has a vision of a cake that will bless many people, and you and I just want to lick the spoon. Y'all, many times what's happening in our lives is God is working on something that will bless the masses and will bless many people. And we're only interested in how it's going to bless us. We just want to lick the spoon. But see that if God gives us too much batter, then he can't make the cake. And because we don't want to wait on the cake, there's tension. But putting the batter under heat over time brings the batter to maturity. And when the batter is full grown, y'all, we call that a cake. It can bless a lot of people. And if you and I wait on the cake, there'll even be a slice for us. In the text, we see people that God has allowed to be well-resourced. And they have a whole cake. But they would not share the cake. They would not give to other people a slice. And so God judges them. Look what he says to them. Now listen, you rich people, weeping well because the misery is coming to you. Ultimately, church, they use their money to purchase their misery. Your wealth has rotted. Y'all with me in verse 2? And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. The corrosion is going to testify against you. Verse 4, look, the wages you paid to fail, pay other workers and your fields are crying out against you. The cries of harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Uh, you have lived on earth in luxury, but now is the gig is up. You got to pay because you would not use your resources to be a part of God's mission. You have condemned and murdered the innocent who are opposing you. Now, for sure, being rich was not their sin, not in and of itself. Being ungodly was their sin. 
But because they were rich, they had more power to practice their corruption. God did not want to finance their corruption nor their wickedness. And everything we have belongs to God. Psalms 24 tells us that. And so now here's the parallel in the text. Because if you're poor and you're here, it looks like God has judged the rich and that they are wicked. And so, and so something may rise up in you that says, okay, it's, they're out of fashion now. It's not their season now. Maybe it's our turn. Maybe this is where God does the big turnabout. Maybe the wealth of the wicked is laid up in store for the just, and maybe this is our turn. And so, the, so the, I could imagine that the poor and the marginalized and the people who have been damaged through the bad practices of the rich and, and because the love of many has waxed cold, now the poor believe it's their turn. And so they stand up and they hear their theme music, and we all know their theme music, right? You've heard the song of the up and coming, right? You all have heard this song, right? Tell me you've heard this song. Carter, play the song. You all heard this song, right? Here's the song of the up and coming. Carter there, you got that song? Here's the song, y'all, of the up and coming. Tell me if you heard this song. It ain't that. <laughs> Come on, y'all. It's our turn. We about to ball out. Y'all heard this, right? Come on, everybody. It's our turn. We get ready to come up. It's our turn. We got about to be on that. And then all of a sudden, y'all, uh, when we're rocking, something happens, and that song goes out. And we believe it was our turn. And God cuts that song short, and he says, not so fast. Not so fast. He says to the, to the poor, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits the land and yields his valuable crop, patiently waiting and singing praises. So then what God is telling us is the judgment on the rich was not a final judgment. I'm still going to give them a chance. So what happens is there's not ex this great exchange because God calls all of us. So James calls all of us. So the poor believe because the rich have a, re a red light that this is their green light. And what James does in the text is calls the poor and the rich to an intersection except it's a four-way stop. And he tells everybody, stay in this space for just a second. Hover here. God is trying to bring equilibrium between who you are. See, what, 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 is, what is disenchanting to the marginalized is that God still loves their oppressors. Y'all, we, we, we don't love that God loves who don't love us. But isn't it just like God to bring us all together and to say, I have no respect for persons. I'm trying to do what blesses everybody. And I'm trying to call you into harmony. I'm trying to call you into unity. And that's why I've had everybody part. And then God himself gets out and plays traffic cop. I'm trying to bless everybody. God calls us. And then the poor have to understand that the richest red light is not their green light. We all run our own rest. And so he says to them, be patient, brothers and sisters.
until the Lord's coming. Here's what the poor has to do. He's, he's addressed the rich. Here's what the poor has to do. You have to hang on and endure until the Lord come. This is not just an eternal endurance, but you have to hang on in your current life. Even though times are tough and even though you have been living the life of the marginalized and people have made decisions for you, you cannot lose heart. You cannot quit. You cannot give up. It's like the song that Martha had us sing uh, in Black History Month. Lift every voice and sing until earth and heaven ring. It's going to change for you. Because God is orchestrating all things. That when you don't believe in the circumstances and when you don't believe in the system, you can still believe in God. And this is what the psalmist says. I would have lost heart or fainted. But I still believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it is based upon this belief that I can wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait on the Lord. I know you can't wait on your senator. You can't wait on the government. You can't wait on the things to change, but you can wait on the Lord. Because God has your consequence and God has your blessing. Then he, he, he uses three personalities in the text. He uses the farmer. He uses the prophet. And he uses the servant, Job. And he says to them, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, that the farmer understands the system of God. The farmer understands how God works. The farmer knows that he can't move God any faster than God wants to move. The farmer understands that he's got to operate within the plans and the programs and the schemes that God has put in place. And when James uses this analogy of the farmer, he's talking to people in that day who really understand it, and so what James does, he, he, he talks to them about the process of waiting. And then when they are finished waiting, then they can pick their harvest. But James comes in on level three. There's an assumption in the text, y'all, that I'm not so sure that we can make in modern day. The assumption James makes is that they understand the first two levels of farming. So he doesn't have to give them the first two levels. He can enter on level three, which is patiently waiting. Y'all, but the first two levels are plowing and planting. And James assumes that they understand that. that. That here's the deal. If you haven't plowed anything, and if you haven't planted anything, you can wait all you want to. You're not going to give a harvest. So sometimes we'll sit there and say, I'm waiting on the Lord, but we haven't plowed anything. And we haven't planted anything. If you haven't plowed and planted, you ain't waiting on God. God is waiting on you to go back and plow something. God is waiting on you to go back and plant something. The reason I love Common Ground Northeast, the reason I want to be here, the reason I brought my family here is because I respect the fact that years ago, y'all had an agenda. Y'all wanted to be a multi-ethnic and a multicultural church. And in order to get there, you turn some things over. You begin a process of plowing. And plowing is violent. Plowing is disruptive. Plowing tears things up. Plowing tears things out. Plowing is not comfortable. Plowing is not cool. No, plowing tears it up. 
And I appreciate that we lost for this value. That we tore some things up. Initially, it is the main reason I wanted to come. Not the reason I want to be here now, and you are. <laughs> but initially, in my mind, y'all plowed and planted. From where I came from, they gave y'all street cred. <laughs> so I'm like, I can rock with them because they lost for it. So now we planning and waiting, and, and while we waiting, we working. I'm cool with that. Nobody gets to pick what they have not plowed, planted, and patiently waited on. But we've gone through the process. You cannot reap where you have not sown. And if you do, that's called manipulation and taking advantage of people. James wants you to go back and plow and plant something. And then you can truly wait on the Lord. And then he says to the church, he says, listen, but it's close. It's close. The great exchange is close. The rich won't always be able to lord on you. The psalmist said, yeah, but I've seen the wicked in great power spreading themselves like a green bay tree. Y'all know the psalm. But then later I looked for them and I could not find them because God will judge. Weeping may endure for the night. Am I preaching to anybody? But joy will come in the morning. I don't know who you are and I don't know who I'm talking to, but this may not be your best day. But God has not forsaken you. He will come through. He's faithful. Come on, somebody. He may not come when you want him, but he has already got an ordained time to come and rescue you. You are going to be all right. There's some work that you have to do. I want to tell the church a story. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, uh, because based upon how you deal with people, I'm judging your heart. So here's the deal. Everybody rich ain't bad, and everybody poor ain't good. <laughs> good people can be rich and poor. Bad people can be rich and poor. So what God is not judging your money, he's judging your heart. And that's what this text is about. So come with me to fall in the 80s when I rode in to Indiana State University, maybe a little cocky, and just said, you know what, I want to play football. I'm going to walk on the football team. And uh, two-day tryout, about 40 people showed up. They said, at most, we're going to keep two of y'all. Probably we ain't going to keep none of y'all. Because y'all ain't got scholarships. There's probably a reason why y'all don't. <laughs> so two days, we got there catching passes, fielding punts, fielding kickoffs, and running sprints, and I'm at the top. So on day two, the coach pulls me aside and says, man, you're pretty good. Like, bro, like I grew up, you know, that's all we had to do was play basketball, football. Yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I did this all my life. So he says, I think we could use you. Let's go to the weight room. So the last thing we had to do in tryout, he said, man, I think you're going to make the team. Is they put, they had this bar, it's 45 pounds. They put two 45s on the end. He said, max out. So excited, max out. Why, well, max out. I think I lifted it five times. 
That's bad. <laughs> In case you didn't know. I lifted it five times. He's like, you can only lift 135 pounds five times, and you want to play college football. And all of a sudden, this big smile that he had and this big endorsement that he gave me turned to a deep frown. And he said, man, I, I got to tell you something. He said, uh, bro, you can't play college football like that. He said, I won't cut you but you're going to have to wait a year to play, to be on the team. And in between time, I'm going to give you a workout and some things to work on, and you're going to have to meet these benchmarks. And if you meet these benchmarks, you're on, and if you don't, you're off. And, and I was disappointed, right, because I thought it was good, and, and it hurt me to hear weight and it hurt me to see that there's just something about me. Y'all, that's why we're here waiting, because there's something about me that's really not ready, that's really not there. And even though we project ourselves into that place, we believe we belong in that place, we hate to hear, nah, uh you need some work. You need some work. And here's, where, here's where he got me. Here's where he got me. He said, it would be irresponsible of me to put you out there. And I know you can't take it. Y'all, that's what God looks at us. He says, I played, so I know what you're going to be up against. You don't know what you're going to be up because you've never been there. But I can look at you and I can look at that. And I say, oh, no, you're not ready for that. And so many times, y'all, we project ourselves into a place. And God has to come and say, I know what it takes to be there. I know what that will do to you. I know that your heart is not ready. I know that you're not ready. And it would be irresponsible of me to give you that. And you're not ready for that. So I require you to wait. But I don't require you to wait in the essence of just letting time pass. I require you to go back and look at the areas where you're deficient and you're insufficient, and I require you to work. And one of the areas I require you to work is in your relationships with people. I'll know you're ready when I see you treating people well. I'll know you're ready. When I can count on you not to eat and hold the whole cake, I'll know you're ready when you're ready to share. And you're ready to be a blessing. He says the judge is at the door. And then he uses the prophet. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, look at the prophets. And in Hebrews 11 gives us this long list of the great cloud of witnesses as I get ready to close. It is this prophetical type. Hall of Fame, and the thing that made everybody worthy of this great cloud of witnesses, it was not their individual gifting. And how do you get to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And how do you get to the Basketball Hall of Fame? How do you get to the Hall of Fame of CEOs? How do you get to the Hall of Fame of salespeople? How do you get to the Hall of Fame of whatever it is that God has called you to do? It's not that you are good. It's not that you're effective. It's not that you have good stats. The one metric that everybody in the Hall of Fame has, church, is that they make people around them better. 
that if you're going to get to God's Hall of Fame, it is really based upon what people around you and how they've been impacted. And so everybody in the great cloud of witnesses made somebody else better. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Here's our instructions. Here's what we need to do. We need to look to the Lord. Some of us, church, just need more of Jesus and less of ourselves. Our default position keeps getting us in trouble. We need God to come over and make us over again. We need God to come in and create in us a clean heart and renew the right spirit. We need revival. We need renewal. We're off. And we keep wanting to reap in areas where we have not sown. We need God to come and sow some different things in our heart. And finally, church, he uses Job. Man, Job did not have a faith in me that was predicated or contingent upon things. Job did not believe the more he had, the more blessed he was. Job, in fact, said, the Lord has given. Am I preaching to anybody? And then the Lord took away. But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That God was better than whatever I had. That I could praise him in the mountain, in the valley, and in the mountain. My faith was in no way predicated upon what I had. And Job just said, all of my appointed time, I can just wait on the Lord. Whatever he does, that's cool. I had the ability to wait on him. And as I close, I want you to take this. The lack of patience suggests that I am not in sync with God. The lack of patience suggests that we should use my system and not God's system. The lack of patience suggests that I figured it out and God don't have to figure it out. My lack of patience suggests that I know something that God does not know. But patience requires a reorientation. Patience suggests that God wants to do something in you before he does something for you. Because God is not nearly as interested in blessing you as God is interested in blessing other people through you. Why are the rich judged? Because they have not established themselves as people through whom God can bless other people. As opposed to blessing other people, they burdened other people. As opposed to helping other people, they hurt other people. As opposed to being a resource for the poor, they rejected the poor. They mistreated people. Y'all, we hate to wait. I know that waiting is tough. 
we have to buy into our waiting seasons because God is doing something in us when he requires us to wait. We should rejoice in our waiting seasons. In fact, the longer you have to wait, perhaps the more God has for you. God requires them to wait. Because here's my final point for everybody that's struggling. What often happens is that when you come up and you haven't done your push-ups, your whatever I was required to do. By the way, I never, I never, I never played football. I just went and joined the track team, but that, that, that's, that's, that's another story, but they would let me participate right away. So uh, here's what's true about the exchange. So many times when people who are struggling or hurting, when God does bless you, often they do to other people what people did to them. And then God has to judge them. Whenever and wherever God has us, because it's always about what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I'm going to get, and if I get this and whatever. Today, I believe, as we get ready to close, I believe our assignment today is just to sit in this place. Sit where we are right now. I want to ask you a question. I know there's somebody here that has pain, but can you praise God in pain? I know there's somebody here that you look good, but when you go home, it's not cool at home. But right here, right now, can you praise God right here in this place? I know, I know what the doctor said. I know what the financial thing looks like. And, and, and that's going to have to take care of itself. Because sitting right here in church right now, there's nothing you can do about it. But you could give God praise for what you have right now and where you are right now. God says, Abraham, Abraham, I gave you Isaac. Now I want him back. There's nothing God gives us and he blesses us with that he does not intend for us to bring back to him as an offering. I gave you Abraham. You don't get to take Abraham, I gave you Isaac. You don't get to take Isaac and do your own thing with him. I ain't giving to him for that. You have to bring him back to me as an offering. And if you don't, I know your heart. And if you do, I know your heart. You got to go take that, whatever your Isaac is. It could be your portfolio. It could be this antique. Whatever your Isaac is. If your Isaac is something you can't take to God, that is not your Isaac, that is your idol. If you cannot take your Isaac to God, that's your idol. And God says, okay, okay, that's your idol. Now when you get in trouble, that's what got to bless you. 
when, when it ain't going well, that's what you're going to have to look at. You need to bring that to me. I want to pray for somebody today. Come on, let's give God praise for his word. Some of us have some Isaacs that we will not bring to God. God's like, man, I didn't give you nothing. I blessed Cain. I blessed Abel. They had to bring me an offering. I blessed Abraham. He had to bring me an offering. And if and will, when, and you don't or do, then I know where you are. But for some of us, he says, I know you're not ready. I'm not going to bless you yet till you get ready. Because if I bless you, I'm going to have to judge you. Now, if you're here today, I just want to pray this prayer over you. Come on, let's raise your hands. Raise your hands. Maybe a good way to approach it is we can just say this. I need more, more, more. Come on, somebody tell it. Jesus, more of you. Somebody online, lift your hands and tell it. I need so much more. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, more, more, more. Come on, just say, give me more, more, more. Jesus, more of you. I need so much more. lift your hands right here in the sanctuary. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. God, thank you that what I glean from the text is that even if I'm wrong, even if you give me a warning before you execute final judgment. God, now I know that, that, that everybody in the text, there, were, there was no one in the text that didn't need to make a heart adjustment. Everybody needed to hear from you. Everybody needed to make the adjustment. Everybody at the intersection had something they needed to work on. And here we are, God, and we look at our own individual lives. God, we see there are areas. Sure, we project ourselves into places, but thank you for saying no. Thank you for saying wait. Thank you for saying hold on. Thank you for saying not now. Because I need you to work on something. God, all of my brothers and sisters, we're humbly submitted this morning. Would you do the work you know needs to be done in our lives? Come on, somebody, I make myself available for that word. God, I want to give you my Isaac. I want to give it back to you. This we believe you for in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.